Hello, City Hope. Everybody doing good? Staying warm? Some of you still asleep. Campuses, we want to welcome you. I hope you're awake. We're still sleepy here at Malvis. It is great to see you this weekend. You know what I want you to do, though? Uh, two things. I want you to, I know you have family. You probably have friends that have the flu. Uh, we want you to be praying for them. And also, at the end of the service, don't shake hands and hug next, just fist bump or elbow bump. I don't want it. You got it. Keep it. Practice that. Just give somebody a fist bump. You know, go ahead, try it. See? Because I'm telling you what the last group did. They came out the door doing this. And I had to do this or this. So let's do that, okay? Everybody good? Okay, I'm just making sure. We normally begin the new year with a vision message, and where, where we're going and what we're going to do and how we're going to accomplish the things God has called us to do. And, and we're going to do that this year, except instead of one message, there'll be four, and they're contained in this series, Uncommon. Last weekend, I talked about flexibility, and I hope you do listen to that. I reminded you in that message that... In May of 2018, we will celebrate our 20th year as a church. And that's a big deal. Uh, It really is. Uh, When we started, uh, there wasn't a lot of people giving us a whole lot of hope that we were going to make it. But God, Jesus, has helped us. And so we're going to celebrate 20. Believe it or not, I can remember the day and the place where I clearly heard God call me to start this church. I had a strong impression from God, not not an audible voice, but the Holy Spirit impressed clearly on my spirit not only the call to start, plant the church, but also the time to start because God is a God of the now. Three years ago, just as strongly as 20 years ago, I felt the Holy Spirit impress on my spirit, I'm releasing you from the role of lead pastor of City Hope Church. Again, the timing was revealed, and the timing would be at the end of the 20-year season. Then I noticed that my callings have been in 20-year seasons. God gave me a season of 20 years to pastor children and youth. When starting the church, I asked the Lord, well, did I waste my time? And, uh, you know, did I make a mistake? And as far as wasting the time, he said no, because... You, you can communicate to children, you can communicate to anyone. And then secondly, was it a mistake? He, and this is what he said. He said, I've never called you to children and youth ministry. And I wanted to argue because I, I did that for 20 years. And, but he said, I called you to a generation, to children and youth. He let me know that when my kids were little, they're in their ages, they, I could communicate with them. I had a, the ability to communicate and relate to children and involve them and When they became teens, I could understand them. And so he said, I called you to a generation. And we had wonderful seasons with children and youth, but I had to understand that when a season ends, God is still your source. And you and I, we get attached to seasons because God uses seasons to channel blessings to us. So we developed a fondness for them, but we have to admit those channels have their time. In 1998... God was calling me to generations, not a generation, but generations. The Abraham, the Isaacs, and the Jacobs that I talked about quite a bit last year. 
I've come to notice that there's no place you can go that God hasn't been there first, and he's always a step or two ahead, and he's never surprised by anything. One of the verses that means a lot to me is Exodus 23 and 20. Behold, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way, to bring you to the place which I've prepared. When God changes a season, we often panic we, because we have to deal with something unfamiliar. But God says, no, don't, don't worry about this because I'm leading you safely to a place I've prepared. Because God is always the God of the now. So the seasons change from children and youth to adults. And then from 1998, many things have changed from 35 people in a small metal building to several campuses and thousands of people. But he's still the God of the now. Seasons change for, from our initial name, Bay Community Church, to City Hope Church. Our new name was with a new identity, but the same DNA. This new name gave us new places to go with our new identity. So, over the history of our church, in December I start looking at the next year as far as where we're going, but sometimes where we're going, I, it, it comes about when I, I developed a habit of just studying uh, the the, the numeric number of our church, the age of our church, because uh, it, it, there is biblical significance in the numerical age, like when we turn five years old, seven years old, 10 and 12 and 15 and even 17. So I decided to study the number 20. It's important to me. It seems to be a pattern for me, but here it is in the church. So let me share with you what I found. Later on in Judaism, a study surfaced, and it has a name, but it's a hard word. I can't pronounce it. It was based on the idea that one can discover many hidden truths and meanings in biblical texts from a study of the numerical equivalents. I'll explain. The Hebrew letters each have a numerical equivalence. The first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the equivalent is the number one. The second letter is the number two and on. I'll give you some examples in the Bible of how that plays out. Abraham's servant, Eleazar. His name, if you take the Hebrew characters of his name, you attach the numbers to them and you added it up to a numerical value, it was the number 318. Well, if you know anything about Abraham's story, in Genesis 4, Abraham had to take 318 trained men to go conquer three kings who had turned against his nephew. If you know anything about the New Testament, you know there's a guy named Caesar, Nero Caesar. He was an emperor. You take the letters of his name and put it in the Hebrew characters and add the numerical value, you get the number 666, which he was a type of the Antichrist. So numbers in the Hebrew language and names in the Hebrew language have tremendous significance. For instance, the number 10 has the significance of the perfect the perfection of divine order. The perfection of divine order. I'll show you what that means. If you go back to Noah, remember it's Noah and his family. The earth's been destroyed, and it's Noah and his family starting all over again. Noah is the tenth generation from Adam. That perfection of divine order. Abraham, then, is the tenth generation from Shem, the son of Noah. And here comes Abraham. God's going to birth the Jewish people out of Abraham. 
You have the Ten Commandments. You have the northern kingdom of the ten tribes of Israel. You have the ten plagues of Egypt to counter the ten gods of Egypt. You have the ten points of the Lord's Prayer. You have the ten virgins in Jesus' parable. But then I began to study the number 20, and I found something very interesting. And I hope you can track with me on this because I, I love the numbers and the meanings, but I always wanted God to apply it to us. So I, I studied the number 20, and I, you know, I, I ended up looking first at 21. And we know that 20 is one short of 21, right? You got that in math. So, but 21 is very unique because 21 is the threefold of 7. 3 times 7 is 21. 7 is very significant. It's a very, it, it, it's, it's biblically and spiritually, it's the completeness and the perfection. It's the perfect number. So 21 is threefold of seven. So 21 then can be looked at as three divine completions as in regards to the spiritual completeness of perfection. But that's the number 21. What about the number 20? Well, the number 20 actually signifies expectancy. I'll show you biblically how that works. 20 years, Jacob waited expectantly to get the possession of his wives and his property. 20 years, Israel waited for deliverance from Jabin's, Jabin's oppression. 20 years, Israel waited for the deliverance until Samson. 20 years, the Ark of the Covenant waited in Kirjath Jerem. And, and 20 years, Jeremiah prophesied concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. So 20 is the year of expectancy. For what? For 21. For the threefold of divine completions. Now, let me just show you what that means to me and my spirit about our church, City Hope. We are expecting the promises and the prophecies over this church to be completed. We're, expected, we're expecting that the places God wants us to be with campuses and ministries and, 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 and missions, that we're going to be there. We're expecting for the people that we've pray to be saved, to come to Christ, that they come to Christ. We, we, we're expecting a release from debt so that we are no longer a slave to the lender. We're expecting to reach a younger generation, not just the millennials, but your children and your teenagers. We're expecting to reach more people around the globe, not just in our community, but around the globe. And I could go on and on and on, but it's an exciting, expectant time of what God's going to do through three divine completions in one year. I believe that because the word, the teachings, the prayers, the servant hearts, the giving, the seed, the dreams that are within our pastors and our staff and the people of our church, that we come into this 20 season and we should be looking up and forward with expectancy as never before because God is still the God of now. For my new season at City Hope, it's to focus more on fulfilling and completing the role of an apostolic leader, a spiritual father to people here, to people in our church, to, to missionaries, to pastors internationally, wherever God opens the door. So here's how we got to today. I'll just give you some history. About five years ago in a discussion with the elders, the question came up, how long do you plan to stay in the role as lead pastor? At that time, I didn't know. I said, well, I need to pray. I need to ask God. And it was two years later that the Holy Spirit shared and confirmed and impressed with me that this year, 2018, that actually on May 6th, May 6th is special because that is the day that we 
set apart, we organized, we became a church, and we, we were officially that church. So on, on that day, you know, that, that I got the timing. And of course, in our conversation, the obvious question came up as to who will take my seat. I knew immediately God had already shown me. He confirmed it many, many times that it was to betray our son. I've, I've known him for a long time. 39 years. Knowing very well, we've worked together for, well, since the beginning of the church. Years before this discussion with the elders, I mentioned to Trey that I thought the Lord wanted him to lead the church one day, and he, he wasn't ready for that yet. And I shook him up. I remember coming off a men's retreat in 05, which was our seventh year, that number. And there were like 25, 30 men there, but it was such an incredible meeting where God began to speak. And in that meeting, through those speakers, he started confirming me and ele elevating me to pastor thousands. And then the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and confirm to me, you need to confirm to Trey. So there, by the help of the Holy Spirit, I began to speak things into his life openly in front of others and confirm him and ask for forgiveness for being too busy as a dad in ministry when he was little and anything that would, and just to release all these things from his spirit, I began to, to speak into his spirit so he could start to prepare himself for his life. From that discussion five years ago in an elders meeting, we began to plan and pray for the timing. I began to release ministry to Trey he had not experienced before. He begins to dig in to hear God and allow God to equip him for this season in his life. He's finishing his first 20. For the last three years, Trey basically has led the church, from the staff, the pastoring, the organization, the ideas, the management. He has confirmed the Romans 12, 8 leadership gifting. And you would also have to agree with me that he can illuminate the scriptures as well as communicate the scriptures for everyday living. What you haven't seen will continue. And what you have seen will continue. We'll share the pulpit. We both will remain elders. But it's time to pass the mantle, the anointing of this house to Trey. That's going to happen on May 6, 2018, our 20th year, the year of expectancy. Now, let me show you how that applies scripturally. All through the scripture, we see the reverence to God, not as the God of one generation, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a generational God. That's the calling on City Hope Church. And the DNA of this house will be carried on to future generations. I also know, without a doubt, that if we're going to reach the Jacobs, the millennials, we need to hear, we need an Isaac to hear from God for that generation. If you understand what I've taught in the last year several times, the Abraham and the Isaacs and the Jacobs, we need each other. Each has an important value. I refuse to give up on the younger generations. I refuse to turn my back on these young Jacobs, this millennials, and even the teens and the children that are coming up, that now they have a new name for them. I, also, I want you to know that I, I refuse to give up on them, but I also know I can't do it like an Isaac. Trey's an Isaac. So City Hope Church, listen, by the Spirit of God, I want to speak to you. And I say this by the Spirit, I speak with expectancy that the blessing of God on this house is going to move to a new stream and a new channel. And that God wants you to understand that he uses streams and channels to provide blessing and growth for his people, the church. 
I want you to know that God has confirmed what's taking place spiritually, and you are going to benefit from this. What has been accomplished here is just the beginning, the first season of what will be accomplished in the next season. How's that going to happen? With the Abrahams and the Isaacs and the Jacobs working together, moving forward with a vision of the house. We, I'm an Abraham, and I, I need Abrahams to stay connected to me, and I need Isaacs, and I need Jacobs, and we, we need each other. Let, let me show you this in the natural, how this works. For the first time ever in 1955, Fortune 500 listed the top 500 companies. Today, only 60, 12% are still in that top 500. That means 88% dropped out. Why? Because in that time frame, income streams changed. Technology channels changed. The way of doing business changed. Most of them, 88%, never adjusted to the new streams of income. Remember, God uses streams, channels, to provide blessings and growth to his church, you and me. God has always used streams and channels to bless his people. If you look at Abraham in Genesis 13, 2, the Bible says Abram, Abraham was rich in livestock, silver, and gold. I've always seen the livestock part. I understood that. But what about the silver and the gold? Three different streams. How, how did he do that? Well, most of us didn't know that probably don't know that Abraham dug wells and it was where he dug the wells that was so important he dug the wells on the busiest caravan route in the world so it's inevitable that people are coming and traveling that they're they're going to be going through this way and so he would set up where he could sell goats and bullocks and little things to eat as they passed by and he also knew that they were traveling with their flock and they needed water so he dug the wells And he would have charged for that and would have been wise to do so because he paid his men. It was his expense to put the wells in, so there's nothing wrong with getting a return on your investment. Abraham's streams of blessing then came in cattle and silver and gold. And then God comes along. Watch, he's showing us channels. He comes along thousands of years later to the people of Israel talking through the prophet Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, 400 years before Jesus. And you've heard this verse, but I want to show you something in this verse. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Not enough room to receive it. Now, people may not think of a window as a channel, but it is. If you open a window, the air comes in. Even the hot air can go out. Windows are real channels. If you look at the old homes before air conditioning, they had 10 and 12-foot ceilings. One of the reasons is because they had tall windows. And many of them had transoms on the top of the window that you could tilt open to let the hot air out and let the breezes blow in. Windows are also channels of light. In the old days, before electricity, the storefronts had huge windows so that the light could channel all the way to back to the store. But here's God saying, I'll open to you windows, plural, in heaven. So God wants to bless a people and use a people. And I'm telling you, he has blessed us and he's used us, but we're going into a new stream in a new channel. And he's wanting us to be able to speak and have influence and contact with people in our world, at our job, in our family. And, we, and, and not just there, but people anywhere and everywhere, no matter where they come from. And we're doing that now with people online connecting and with ministries that we're connecting with around the world. God is using that. He's using us as a model to bless people of the earth. And he's doing it not through one channel, but multiple channels. 
And you're part of those channels. You are. And he's always done it that way because God is always the God of the now. So let me go to the scripture and let me give you a, a story in the scripture to, to show you how this really works. When a famine came on Israel as a judgment of God during the time of Elijah the prophet, the Lord had to provide for Elijah because there was a, a, a woman that was going to kill him, Jezebel, a queen. He couldn't die and he couldn't dry up because of the drought. God had to keep him alive in 1 Kings 17, 2. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Get away from here, turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So watch God regarding channels, streams, I have commanded. Now, you, you may not realize it, but the things that, that brings blessing to you are really no different. God has commanded you to be paid. You work hard, you, get a, you learn a skill, you get an education, you work hard to develop a business or a company or work for an organization. And that, that command there, that channel is blessings and benefits and things that are coming to you. And it's not the only thing he does, but he does command blessings on you through different channels. But this is an unusual channel because people were not used to getting food from birds, especially ravens. But the raven would come and drop off the food. Now, it's against the law of Moses for any Israelite to eat a raven. I mean, you couldn't even shoot the raven and eat it, but it was okay for Elijah to eat what the ravens brought, some kind of clean meat and bread. They did it twice a day. They dropped it off and fed him. Apparently, he cooked it and he ate it. And I would say to you that, that is just, this is very typical of the Lord because God uses unclean, unsafe people to come to you, to buy from you, to, to support your business, to maybe hire you and their income is paying you. And so it's only natural that God uses unsaved people to send and receive money through your business or through an employer. The Bible says, and I believe this is the key to this verse, what I just said is the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. But here's God using ravens to feed Elijah. This lasted for some time. We don't know how long. The famine was three and a half years, but it wasn't long the brook dries up and the birds fly away. Every channel of God, even the ones that God commanded have a lifespan i'll show you another story in the scripture the first house that the people of god built for god's presence to dwell in is called a tabernacle god gave moses the details instructions on how to build this tent and it was an amazing piece of work if you study it and you see the details it would be considered unbelievable today it cost millions of dollars and the people brought in their best stuff and they built this tabernacle and it had to be furnished with several pieces of furniture, but the main piece is called the Ark of the Covenant. It's a two-foot by four-foot box that's covered with gold inside and out, has a lid on it. On the lid are two angels that are bowed down with their wingspan folded back, and it all has to be gold-plated inside and out, and inside this box is, contains the Ten Commandments. So the Ark with the Ten Commandments is put in the innermost chamber of that tabernacle. And that tabernacle is portable. We can relate to portable. Many of our campuses have started off portable. But that tabernacle was carried with Israel wherever they went. They, they moved that tent at least 31 times in 40 years while they were in the wilderness. And then once they crossed the, crossed the River Jordan into the Promised Land, there are three different locations that we know that this tabernacle was set up for a lengthy time. One in Shiloh, and then when Saul became king, He's, a, he's from Benjamin. He's a Benjaminite, and, and he moved it closer to his home, a town called Nob, and then it's finally moved up into Gibeon. And somewhere over the years, maybe during the reign of Solomon the king, the tabernacle served its last season. 
Solomon built God a permanent house on the top of Moriah in Jerusalem. And by the time the curtains and, the, and that fabric, they, they, they had finished their season. And I'm certain when Moses built that tabernacle, no one ever thought about it transitioning out of use, but it saw its season. Every channel of God has its time. And God's never surprised by the ending of a season. Go back to Elijah. So after the while, the brook dried up and the birds fly away. There's no rain. The streams are dry. But God is the God of now. Watch what God does in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. There is the same three words. I have commanded a widow, and she's going to be used to take care of you. Verse 10, so he arose, went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, she knew who he was because, one, his identity, he probably had his picture posted everywhere because he's the one who prophesied the drought and the king had a bounty on his head, but he also wore this girdle of camel's hair and he looked like a wild man. And he'd been living at the brook being fed by birds. But she knew who he was, and she wasn't a Jew, but she spoke about his God. Verse 12, so she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And I see I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's all she had. She didn't have anything else to give. One meal. But she had a willing heart. See, you don't have to have great resources if you have a willing heart. Because God can use you. God can do more with someone broke yet with a willing heart than someone with millions of dollars and their hearts closed off. It's not a problem for God to get money to a person with a willing heart. I want you to understand, when we started this church, we didn't have money. We, we didn't have these big financial supporters. We, didn't have, we, we just had a few people. We just started. We, we didn't have big money, but in that process, God was teaching me something. To this day, I can hear God say, I want you to give to this person or give to this organization or to this ministry. I want you to give to this. I want you to do to that. And he still does that. At that time, we had a part-time employee who kept the books and the checkbook, and I didn't see any of that. I would just go in and say, I, I want you to write me a check to this organization. We're going to give them this. And this person later told me that many times when I'd say that, there was just, just a little bit of money in there, barely enough. She'd write the check. Then she noticed the pattern. Every time I'd hear from God with a willing heart and say, write a check, within the next week or two, it'd come back in double, triple, ten times, a hundred times. A hundred times. It's a willing heart. It's not about me. It's not about money. It's not about a checking account. Yes, you've got to be a good steward. Yes, you have to take care of things and bills. and all. I understand, but it's not about that. It's about having a willing heart. Back to the story, verse 13, Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as, as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Now, I don't know how she felt, but I know this. She did what she was told. She did what Elijah said, verse 15. So she went away, did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of God, the word of the Lord, in which he spoke by Elijah. God had a new channel. There's a new stream. 
He's not surprised the ravens quit and the brook dried up. Everything God did in the Old Testament is there for a reason. It happened. It wasn't just symbolic. It's always a picture of what he's going to do in the future. Not just in the New Testament, but also in the New Testament church. Fast forward 2,000 years, and that's us today. Let me show you how powerful it is, what took place, and how these streams keep coming. I'll give you another story. You know the story. It's the story of David and Goliath. You've heard it all your life, even as a child. But can you imagine how powerful this message has been with pastors sharing this teaching on David and Goliath? It literally happened, and yes, it's symbolic, but it's also figurative. It's actually a picture of Jesus Christ beating Satan's best. Goliath was the Philistines, God's number one enemy in the whole scripture, their champion. Goliath means champion. Their best is out to defeat God's people. Jesus, Jesus Christ beating the devil's best guy. Who's his best guy? Well, Goliath had six weapons. His height was six cubits and a span. He had six pieces of armor. He was 666. So it's just not David beating Goliath. It's Jesus Christ dealing with the Antichrist in the future. So the best the devil has to offer is going to be defeated by Jesus Christ. You see how powerful everything in the Old Testament is because it's fulfilled in the future, in the new. He's the God of the now. He's not going back to the old and, well, we're going to do this again. No, it's the God of the new. He's the same God. And without the revelation of the Holy Spirit, God's people have a tendency to get clingy to the past. We want it like it used to be. We, we want to do it this way. We want to go that way. And so many times, people are, it's difficult for them to change. But look at Elijah. What, what was better? Was it better to get bread and meat from ravens or get a meal every day from a widow? Well, I, I would guess the widow because God values people more than he values birds. And what I want you to see is when God replaces one channel with another, the new channel eclipses the old channel in every respect. And God has been raising up a new channel here at City Hope for quite some time. Actually, since 1998, our birthday. The intensity of this has changed in the last three years. If I go back to 1997 in September, God spoke to me to plant a church 90 days later, I figured out where to find a place to do it and start, and, and, and we did it. it. Then it took four years to find and purchase the property here at Malvis, the central campus. It took another six years before we realized we're supposed to have many campuses. I remember the day and the time when I asked the elders to pray and fast with me because some large organization came in and wanted to buy this incredible piece of property here in Malvis, and it was a lot of money, and we could have gone up the road and bought a lot of land and had one big building and everybody drive and come in and God confirmed in all of us no that's not who you are I want you in the community I want you to have little bodies of believers in every community that are representing this one vision of this house and then it took us another four years to build this facility that we're in at Malbus because we needed to because I was preaching five times a weekend which is not good it's not smart, but I didn't have a choice. We had a room with 450 chairs in it. We had two or 3,000 people coming. We had to do it. It took us another year then to allow our new name to be birthed in Trey. We've known and we've taught that we needed that new name. Almost three years ago, we changed the name. It was birthed in Trey while he and I were in Honduras doing ministry. And that night, God began to speak to him, and here comes the name City Hope. 
I know in my heart as much as I've ever known anything in my heart that it's been going on for three years and God's confirmed it over and over again. I'm 100% convinced that it's time for this church to have a new quarterback. And it's not me. I'm not quitting the team. I'm going to be a receiver. I'm going to still be a big part of it, but I'm not going to be the lead guy. And I'm not afraid because I know the quarterback is better at this stage of his life than I am at my stage of this life in reaching the younger generations. I know this, but I'm going to continue to be part of a team just in a different role. Just like Elijah had to find Elisha in order for his ministry to release a double portion, every generation brings new and fresh ideas. My dad would say every generation should have a double anointing than the previous. My dad was a pastor for 60 years. He, he probably never pastored over 500 people. And, and, and fast forward to a double anointing on, on me. And now on Trey, I, I'm just saying with expectancy of where we're going. So at some point, we, we have to pass the baton so God can release new vision through new channels and new blessings for the next generation of ministry. And, and let me say this, because I'm going to give you an illustration. I think it'll help you understand what we're doing. Look at me. This is not Jerry Taylor's retirement speech. I know what I'm saying. I'm just not sure what you're hearing. But if you use that R word, I will look you up. <laughs> now, I had a couple smart aleck guys before walk out and say, oh, you're retiring. No, I am not retiring. I'm transitioning. I'm still on the team. We're going to share the pulpit. I'm still going to be part of this house. This house was birthed in me, so it has a special place. I will die with my boots on, but I want to be part of what God's doing. And, and what I want you to see, that we've worked together for 20 years, and it's not stopping. It's just an adjustment. So here's the picture, I think, that will help you. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. If you have, it's insane, and I hope you never do it again. But my wife and I have done this. We didn't have children, but we did this one time, or two times maybe going down the interstate, trying to drive through all night to go somewhere, and you don't want to stop and waste time, so you change seats where you're going down the interstate. <laughs> Anybody ever done that? Oh, look, there's a lot of insane people in this place. <laughs> yeah. I had somebody come up and say, you really did that? Are you crazy? Yeah, I probably was. That's what's happening right now. With the momentum of our church, with what we're doing and where we're going, Trey and I are just changing seats. And listen, we can do it for two reasons. One is because we're City Hope Church. And the second one is, is because we have God's leadership in doing it. So we're changing seats. So here's what I want to say. It's time for Trey Taylor to lead City Hope Church. Trey, you come up. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, listen, before you sit down real quick and um, before I say anything else, I just I want us all, every campus, everybody right now, I want you guys to give my mom and my dad 
the biggest round of applause, the most honor you can possibly give them for all that they've done. Let me say this about my wife, Trey's mom. She's a behind-the-scenes person. And all of the, I, I did enough ministry for two people back in the day. I was very busy. And she took care of the house. She took care of the kids. And their character and their faith today, a large part of that is because of my wife's faithfulness to my family. So I really honor her and reflect the honor to her. Whew. Um, this is the second time to do this. I didn't expect to get this emotional the second time. Um, I've, I've, got, I've got a few things that I, I want to share with you guys. And, um, and so what I, what I ask is that for the next two weekends um, is that you come back and you're here and you're connected and you're engaged. Um, because there's some vision and there's some ideas, there's some thoughts that God's put in me that I would love to share with you about this next season. Um, but one of the things that I can tell you for sure, and, um, and as I can imagine, there's a lot of emotions swirling in a lot of us right now, me included. Um, just this, this is a big deal, Right. Um, but one of the things that I've constantly reminded myself, and it's one of the things that I've seen Dad do so well um, over these 20 but even 40 years, is really the true leader of City Hope Church is not changing. Um, because from day one, the true leader of this church has been Jesus Christ. Um, and I have seen Dad on, I mean, model that from day one. Um, those of you that know him well know that to be true, that um, there's never, ever, ever been a selfish bone in his body. He has never, ever made a decision based on what he wants, but it always comes back to Jesus Christ and where he's sending us, where he's taking us, where he's leading us. Um, and I commit to lead this church into the future in that exact same way. So the true leader of this church is not changing. Um, and I would encourage you with this as well, as like the, the, the writer in Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, uh, to fix our eyes on Jesus. To fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Um, and it's what I'm doing in this season, and it's what I'm asking you to do in this season. Um, as we go into this next four or five months between now and the big 20th anniversary, to, to lock your eyes on Christ, to lock your eyes on Jesus, that it's not about Jerry Taylor and it's not about Trey Taylor. It's about Jesus and the mission that he has for his church. And we're all about building his church. Um, so as we, as we march on into this next season, I ask you to commit to pray. To pray for both of us as we go through this season. I ask you to commit to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Um, because I believe that he, not only did he birth this church, but he loves this church. And he's got a future for this church. And I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that the best is yet to come. And I'm excited that we get to do this together. All of us, one big family, we get to march into the future of what Jesus has set before us together. And that's pretty amazing. All right, so join me for the next couple weekends. Be here with us. Be engaged as we unpack what God's got in this next season of ministry for us. All right? Can we give God, can we give City Hope, can we give Pastor Jerry just one more big round of applause for all that he's doing?
All right, I'm going to hand it back over to the campus pastors. We love you guys, and we will see you next weekend. Thank you.